all for joining us. Looking forward to a very dynamic discussion. Um, got three interesting topics for us to work through. Um, first area that I'd like to discuss is um, what direction do you think outsourcing will t of regulated bioanalysis will take in the future? I don't know whether anyone's got a particular opinion that they'd like to open with there. I'd love to start with uh, the farmer because I guess obviously if, as a CRO uh, group, we're very interested in understanding what the business um, outlook is for a CRO. So are farmer outsourcing or plans to outsource more? So, so from a pharma perspective, I, I think with small molecule bioanalysis, the outsourcing strategy is pretty fixed and I view it as remaining constant. I think as we get into more complicated modalities, the ability to outsource will really depend on the willingness of the CROs to invest uh, in the equipment necessary to support the more complicated assays mm -hmm. that are being developed in our shop. I think it's really a business strategic decision that is going to vary from organization to organization. I see around here we have a lot of larger pharma. And so with MPI research, we do a lot of work with small biotech. And so essentially they use outsourcing as a virtual lab. And so I, I, I would sort of think that there might be a little difference between pharma typically having in-house resources and I'm kind of curious to see is it discovery and then you start looking at commoditizing um, in the development space or is it the whole gamut that is being outsourced? I think our experience uh, also puts another marker in the sand and that seems to be uh, the difference between non-regulated and regulated work. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of pharma that we work seem to be more comfortable uh, sharing the regulated work with us because it gets it off-site. Right. Uh, it allows us to handle some of the regulatory issues and make sure the assays are being performed without necessarily sharing the entire quality structure of the pharmaceutical. We see that as a pretty clear division as well. Yeah. So, so, so we do quite a bit of discovery outsourcing. What's interesting is that the vendors that we choose and use for discovery outsourcing are different from those that we're using for regulated bioanalysis. In what sense would you say they are different, Eric? Are they different in terms of the equipment, the talent, uh, the philosophies, the strategy? I, I think when we've done procurement exercises to identify vendors, the, the points that we're looking for in a regulated lab, say inspection history, uh, experience supporting marketed products and like a large portfolio of established assays for non-proprietary uh, non type work are different. We look for that in, on the regulated side Whereas on the discovery side, those issues really don't make much of a difference. So if you have laboratories that are offering uh, the opportunity to, to support both your discovery and regulated work, and they meet those criteria for the regulated work, what are the criteria that would make you choose a different laboratory to, to support the discovery work? That's quite hard to answer because yeah. actually the discovery and development organizations are different beasts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so procurement would have to, would probably drive that in our, in our so That's what you've brought up as procurement drives it to a certain yes. point. But at what point are the scientists within those companies directing procurement to go look mm -hmm. at these companies? 
I think that's extremely company specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's a, I think it's very hard to generalize because that's not, um, I don't think that's usually a, a scientist decision, that's usually an overall business decision. Yeah. So uh, I, it may I mean, vary across companies or even within a company across divisions. Right. Yeah. D during our last exercise, I think we started with 25 CROs or so and, and then filtered them down based on some preliminary you know, request for proposal and other information right. down the list. Right. But that list uh, was generated by procurement and they right. put out the fillers. I think going forward we feel and, and we learn each time that we can fine tune and do some, you know, uh, weeding out off the top based on experience and, right. and the like, and that yeah. should make the process go faster. Yeah, I mean, when we are involved in outsourcing, it is a very science-based yes. decision. It's based on um, the analytical needs and then finding a good uh, fit for the type of data that we can get. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly we will not uh, take on a new vendor without doing a thorough audit uh, of their mm -hmm. facilities. We've certainly seen a, a change from the CRO side of the relationship. We've certainly seen a change from uh, a decade ago when pricing was a big feature mm -hmm. and now capabilities and being um, a tight uh, partner um, with our clients, uh, the value of that seems to be coming through more and more. Mm -hmm. So how do those partnerships work in reality? I think um, certainly scientist to scientist is uh, is key key to it all. Mm -hmm. um, and the evaluation that you've got, the scientific capability uh, to be able to transfer bioanalytical methods in is a is a is a factor. And of course that comes down to the equipment as well as as mm -hmm. well as the people. And then having the infrastructure around um, that um, th those operations to be able to guarantee uh, quality data that um, that everybody can stand behind. But how do you make it feel like for the CRO that they are being part of a partnership? You know, obviously they're on a remote site from you. Mm -hmm. So how how do you facilitate that partnership? Certainly, the regular we well through a uh, through a good project manager. And we found that the consistency in that project manager, in that relationship, is important. And I think that has been something that the whole CRO industry, bioanalytical CRO industry, has had to adapt to, that uh, the, the value of consistency in terms of the people that are involved in those relationships uh, is, is, is very important. It's, uh, it's, a, it's recognized by our clients. They, they often want to work with the same team with the same project manager and to be able to um, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them as the project needs dictate. But what about access to the actual bench scientists rather than just a project manager? So uh, I think there, there are obviously different ways to organize a, uh, uh, the operational side of a regulated bioanalytical lab. and. A degree of flexibility is absolutely essential. In fact, I think flexibility is a component that makes the CRO, um, um, the, the value of the CRO important to getting the work done, to outsourcing it as opposed to doing it in-house, in is that flexibility component. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, we do, once we get to the bench level, we do have um, a consistency of training, but we, we are moving 
people in and out of teams to be able to meet the timeline needs and the up and down flexibility of the of the project. Any comments from the pharma companies on how they like the relationships to work? Yeah, I, I think in terms of partnership, it's important to upfront have extremely good communication, mm -hmm. great transparency, and be willing to see the uh, the CRO laboratory as an extension of your organisation, because that's what you're expecting them to do, um, and you know. We uh, at AstraZeneca believe that you know it's really important to have a good scientific relationship as well, and built into our agreements are scientific governance type organisations. So actually, it's not just about program managers managing the work that's going out to the CROs. It's about getting scientists around the table regularly, not just to talk about the projects that are being delivered, but to talk about science in general. That's where we can talk about new technologies. We can share feedback from meetings like the WRIB meeting that we're attending. So, uh, you know, it, that, that is just as important in the partnership as, um, you know, transparency of, of SOPs and, and the understanding of requirements. Yeah, and I, I agree the scientific collaboration piece is really important. Um, uh, all the way from um, the people who are actually doing the experiments, but really the scientific leadership at the, mm. at the CRO. Um, I think especially um, uh, since uh, you know, molecules are becoming more complex, the technologies are becoming more hybrid, and um, having that scientific leadership at the CRO is, is really what gives us confidence in in being able to have a really good collaboration. I, I, I think it's important because when we outsource a project, our philosophy is to keep the project at one CRO for the life of the project, ideally until registration. Uh, we don't move things around. So given that clinical development programs may last for years, the quality of that relationship and that interaction, the transparency that was mentioned is really important. We'd rather know of problems immediately when they show up rather than, you know, waiting for the monthly call and getting a, oh, by the way, th this happened in, in terms of things. I think you, you really hit it on the head. Uh, the relationships are incredibly important and they tend to be incredibly long-term. And if you're hoping that the young analyst just out of the university is going to be with us in 10 years when you finally ran up, ran up, up your, your oncology trial, it is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But, okay, uh, the PIs and the, the group leads can and should be. Uh, and we actually work very hard to make sure that we, we we nurture those staff, we make them happy, we make them productive, we, we give them opportunities for career advancement and for scientific exploration. So they do stay with us and they are your contact and your partner for the long term. The stability at the top is key and mm -hmm. having the group structure that gives you that uh, is what I think helps a good relationship. Now how common is it to do scientific exchange? Will you actually go into each other's labs and transfer technology? Um, we've done that with a few pharma. <laughs> And that's been very successful because now you're actually interacting with the bench chemists. And we hear a lot about we want to interact and be that extension at the bench. And so it's one thing to have a PI or a project manager and you kind of have that as an interface. But that scientific exchange has been very successful. And so for the farmer that are here, is that a common thing to do? Or it's, well, we're outsourcing it, the method's validated, we expect you to pick it up. 
So what we've actually had situations where our partners have come into our laboratory to look and test out equipment that we have in, in you know, anticipation or in thought that whether they should acquire the equipment or not and do specific testing. And, you know, we certainly welcome those types of exchanges and, and interactions, as well as we've sent scientists out to CROs when there have been issues in terms of implementing problems and in terms of troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think it works both ways. Right. And with novel type of methods, I think yes. that's, um, you know, we've, we've been involved in, in transferring new types of hybrid methods. Uh, right. So that's been very important. We had, um, we had a CRO come in for some Oligo work, basically, because yep. we couldn't get it to work. Right. And the relationship with the CRO was good enough that they actually came and helped us out. So right. and it was a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, that two-way thing for me is really important. You know, I don't know how, how valued this is in, in the CROs, but I, I know when we've at least one example where we've gone back and discussed the project <laughs> and what that data meant. Mm -hmm. And not just yeah. Yeah. there was a problem, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and talked to a CRO about the problem. They actually mm -hmm. went and talked about why that data was valuable. And the guys um, at that particular CRO thought that was, that was really good. So I do think that's incredibly powerful for, for us as a CRO and for our staff to see the impact and, and the impact on human health that their work has. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really valuable um, to come back in after the project has completed, but it's also really important to have those conversations up front. Uh, as, as part of our qualification visits, when we visit a new lab, we'll go into the lab or ask to speak to somebody from the lab and say, you know, What's the purpose of the study that you're supporting today? And if they can't answer that question, mm -hmm. that raises a big red flag to us. We want mm -hmm. people to know what they're doing, know what potential impact they may have on the data that they're generating. And, and it's really important to us, just like it is to our people internally. Yeah. I think the, the meeting this week has put already but some excellent examples of the complexity of bioanalysis that is, that is coming at us right now, and I expect it to continue into the future. And when we look at some of the examples that were mentioned today, um, the need for having uh, scientists that are, that are in the CROs that fully understand right back to the biology of what is going on is going to be essential, um, because I don't think it's it's possible for the sponsor to be able to manage all of that from afar. They're going to need to trust those relationships with the, with the CRO scientists, and those CRO scientists are going to need to be trained and educated to be able to, to manage the, the type of work which is coming along. And I think that is going to be a change from what we've seen in the past where it was CROs were noted for doing sample analysis of bioequivalence studies and small molecule white powders. That is all changing. And so that is going to tax us, and, and the CROs will need to respond accordingly. Agreed. Actually, yeah. that was one of the big drivers for our outsourcing strategy, is that portfolio, you know, 10 years ago was white powder. Yeah. And um, now it's not, and you can't have a group that can hold all that knowledge and skill. So that brings up the question, do you think CROs are ready to, to catch that ball? Yeah. 
That moves us on to the next question, really. Just before we go there, one, one, one uh, sort of additional comment about your outsourcing strategies. So Stephanie and I are in the, uh, predominantly in the preclinical space, but obviously Covance in the clinical space uh, fairly extensively. How important is it to have integrated services, um, so with like preclinical in life as well as the ability to discovery uh, and development GLP work versus the standalone CROs? Well, I, I would say it's very attractive, certainly in the preclinical space, to think about the study and yep. uh, accessing all of the capabilities that you need for that study in one place. Um, it's very efficient. There's complete ownership of that study from end to end. That uh, I, I think you, you, we see ve very much uh, consistency and the ownership of that study um, makes it in better control. It, it, it's very challenging from a GLP, study director, PI communication perspective when the different pieces of the study are running different shops. Can I ask a question then to, to wrap up this section um, for the, the, the um, industrial folks on the panel? Are you happy with the procurement process? Uh, in particular, when it comes to uh, lowest bid gets the work, uh, sort of competitions, uh, where it's not lowest. <laughs> it's not lowest bid gets the work no. automatically. At least in our organization, the business has the final say on the decision. Okay. Especially when it comes to onboarding a vendor we haven't used before, because the investment with respect to time and effort to get a vendor, new vendor up to speed with respect to our expectations and the relationship that we just talked about is tremendous from the scientist and from our outsourcing yeah. oversight group. So lowest price doesn't necessarily get the work. But we do actually have auctions. Yes. And so certain companies use auctions. As a CRO, you dread the auction because you're basically fight, fighting with the lowest price. Mm -hmm. And then we do understand that perhaps the top three <coughs> then get assessed for their capabilities by the scientists. Mm -hmm. But there is that auction, that procurement process, which is pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of fighting amongst yourself. Is that well liked by the scientist on the panel um, versus, say, procurement <laughs> lovers? But is it, does it tie your hands a little bit when you, you know that you've got the top three bids and, well, mm, the company we really like to work with is number five? How does that go? That's a good question. That's a good question. What I would say is, is uh, in my experience, the decision as to who to request a bid from often sits very much with the scientist. Mm. So there's already uh, you know, an understanding of the CROs that we're approaching. We've probably already used those CROs um, to deliver pieces of work. So we've already got confidence in them. It's not a random process of just picking 20 different CROs off a list. It really, I think, is much more focused in terms of the decision. So then the auction process is just to drive our prices lower then, because you've already selected the top three? Um, I think we're looking at it opportunistically to get the best value for money. You know, we're we're in business, and um, but quality is is also very important, which is why I'm saying the scientists are making the decisions about choosing a selection of what we consider quality CROs, judged under our criteria, mm -hmm. um, and and then taking the the, the procurement piece on right. top of that yeah. to get the best value for for money, I suppose. Gotcha. Well said. <laughs>